Lord, again, we thank you for your kindness in revealing your word to us. We ask, Lord, that even with a passage like this, that uh, so easily we could just walk through and, and leave behind without really comprehending the beauty of what it is that you're revealing. Lord, we ask that you would allow us to be teachable. Uh, Lord, strengthen us, give us wisdom to know what it is that you desire for us to hear and understand. Shape us, Lord, with your word. Lord, may it minister, may it um, guide, may it confront, may it counsel, may it comfort, Lord. May, may you be seen in all of your glory as we come into the mirror of your word today. We ask in your precious holy name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You know, people's, nations, cultures love to celebrate, don't they? Uh, they love to celebrate special occasions. And here in our country, we celebrate days like New Year's, Christmas, Valentine's, St. Patrick's Day, even for some of you, Cinco de Mayo. Um, the problem is much of those celebrations just turn into new opportunities to indulge in the flesh. They lose the point, the meaning behind what those celebrations really were all about. We also love to celebrate the accomplishments of sports teams, teams that win, have great parades, and sometimes teams that lose have looting and violence. They're all different forms of celebration. Um, on a personal level, though, we celebrate weddings. Did you know that the cost of weddings has increased exponentially over the past like 10 or 15 years? I mean. You know, people are spending twenty, thirty thousand dollars on weddings, and we're we're not talking about the rich. We're just talking about common people. Um, then there's things like people's birthdays, uh, all these party uh, place stores where you can get all the paraphernalia for stuff. They they just love. You know, it doesn't matter what your number is, you can find it somewhere, um, and you can lie about it if you want to too. But birthdays are important, and then. Coming from England, this is really strange to me, okay? Because when we graduated from school, you just kind of like left. I mean, there's nothing going on. Now come to the States, it's like, oh, we have this graduation ceremony. Okay, fine. You know, you wear your little hat and your tassel. Okay, fine. And, and then I, I moved from, from where I was in Michigan and found out that there are people that have kindergarten graduations, fifth grade graduations, eighth grade graduations, um, high school graduations, of course, there's college graduations. I mean, we just love graduations. Um, it's a day to celebrate. I'm not taking anything away, the accomplishment, that's fine. But we love to celebrate these things, don't we? Now, on a, on a, on a grander scale in our country, uh, we have days that we set, a, set aside to celebrate freedom, Independence Day. It's a day to, to remember the freedom from those oppressive Brits that came and loved their tea and wouldn't leave us alone. Um, but sadly, even the message of that day um, is being lost and replaced by bratwurst and other things. And then there's Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras, did you know, is a celebration of freedom that is rooted in Catholicism. It's there to say, Lent is coming, so live it up. And boy, do they live it up. 
It is a celebration of sexual freedom, of pleasure, of all the things that you might want to say we shouldn't be indulging in because you know what? We can get forgiveness once Lent comes. Get it all out. So we love to celebrate. And, and, and my only real experience of a, of, a, of a corporate national celebration was when I was growing up in England. It was the, the Queen's Silver Jubilee. She had been um, queen for 25 years, and uh, we were celebrating that day. And, and everyone, all the communities stopped what they were doing, and there were street parties that went on. They would have costume competitions. There would be some you know, three-legged race thing going, that kind of stuff. And communities came together. Union jacks were flying all over the place. And it was a big, big day of celebration. You know, thousands of people down at Buckingham Palace. What an incredible day it was. But it was a, it was a national celebration. I remember it quite vividly. And I remember in, in the evening, we went inside to watch movies, movies like The Battle of Britain, the bridge over the River Kwai and Lawrence of Arabia, right? I mean, good British solid battle movies, right? Why? Because it was all about just celebrating the country and even God's favor over that country in a, in a I want to say, a corporate national way. Now, as we turn our attention to our text, we see that there is a celebration that is going on. It's a great national celebration. And it was celebrating the completion of the work of God in Jerusalem. Ultimately, it was a day to dedicate the walls. But it's helpful for us to, to come to this passage remembering the structure of the book of Nehemiah because we realize now why this is here now in the unfolding story. If you look, uh, if you remember uh, chapters 1 through 7, you'll remember that the primary focus there was the restoration or the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem in particular. And then as we move to chapter 8, all the way through the middle of chapter 12, we have seen there the, 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 the revival or the restoring of the people. Now, I think that God was more interested in the restoring of the people. Now, just a little side note here. Sometimes... In order to restore people in life, in practical ways, you have to take care of them physically because before you can actually maybe bring on some spiritual development. Someone's extremely exhausted and tired, feed them, and then you nurture them in the things of God. Right? There's a sense in which you could look at this saying God was wanting to make sure that, that the city of Jerusalem was secure, the gates are secure, and in all that... I'm still working on the people because he was. Remember all their fears, all the struggles they went through. But now he was going to focus on restoring them. And there was a revival that broke out and ended up um, in time of, of covenant making. And then ultimately last week we saw them resettle in the land. And so really, if you think about it, it's a reflection of how the whole book begins Nehemiah 1 and, and, and verse 5, which tells us there that, that the walls were broken down and the gates were destroyed. It also tells us that the people were in great trouble and shame. And so, so God has met the need of the concern that was communicated to Nehemiah. And so there's a sense in which these two arms of the book are all coming together to this focal point here in chapter 12. There's a day of celebration. It was going to be a great day. And it was celebrating the fact that God is always faithful 
to his covenant people. That was the reason. It wasn't just about the walls, but it was about God's faithfulness to them. So as we think about the people of God, even today, we are the church. And there are times when we can celebrate God's faithfulness corporately, a corporate celebration. Of course, that's what we're going to be doing in just a couple of weeks. There's a reason we're having a five-year anniversary. It's not just so that we can eat food and have fun. And what we're going to see in this passage is going to help us think a little bit about why we're doing that and how to approach it. There are times then um, when, when we also can be celebrating personally in times of celebration. And the principles from this passage are going to help us think through what that looks like. And there are other times as a church we're going to be celebrating things. But there's some questions that we need to be asking just as we, as we begin to think about this text. Question number one, how are we to celebrate? I mean, what are the methods? What are the, what are the tools? What's our mechanism going to be? How are the people of God to celebrate? How much of the culture is going to influence or shape how we come together to celebrate milestones in the life of ministry? I mean, in our eyes, what is celebration? Is it all, yeah! I mean, it's like, you know, at the end of every Star Wars movie, there's kind of like this celebration thing going on. You got, you know, Chewbacca's and all these different, these, these creatures all coming together and they're all kind of like celebrating, Right? I mean, is that what God is looking for in a time of celebration? Who's going to determine what that's supposed to look like? What is it that we're actually celebrating? Is it what we have done? Is it what we have accomplished? How skillful and gifted we have been to accomplish this milestone? Or is it to celebrate God and what he has done in accomplishing his work through us? And I think the latter is really the point. Question number three, how much of the world or culture do we bring into our times of celebration? When we sing, are we singing to glorify God, to encourage others, or are we trying to bring the spotlight on our own accomplishments? When we share a testimony, are we seeking to magnify his name and to encourage the body of Christ, or do we delight in talking about what we have done for God? It's kind of like that, that back door self-worship. I mean, just imagine someone standing up at a time of testimony. You're all going to be fearful of doing this now, right? Because I'm talking about it. But just think through this. And here's this person, they stand up and they say, you know, I want to thank all the men that worked so hard this week to do such a great job in meeting the needs of the people that were present at our event. These were the men that I was in charge of and I want you to know how great they did and how, how important they have been to making this event such a success. What's that person doing? I want to thank you for, for doing such a great job. By the way, I was in charge of you and I kind of led you, and, but you did such a great job. See, it's a, it's a backdoor kind of way of saying, look at me, look at me. And certainly we want to affirm people, we want to thank people for what they're doing, but is the focus really... God, or is it us? And I, I think that there's a real danger in our times of celebration to succumb to a selfie culture mentality. 
And by selfie culture, you know what I'm talking about, right? Today, it's a phenomenon. People are out there, and they're, you know, we went out and looked at San Francisco and drove around, and there's people with selfies all over the place. And I understand the concept of that. There's actually a, some videos that are going viral on the Internet. You, they're, 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 they're sad, but they're kind of funny, too. But they're, they're people that they're, they're, they're people that are out, you know, they're, they're at some monument someplace, and they're taking a selfie, and someone comes with some shears, and they, they cut the selfie stick, and they run off, you know? They're so... They're so you know, horrified about the whole selfie culture. And there's a sense in which, biblically speaking, we need to do that. Celebration in the context of the church is not about us. It's about giving glory to God. So, friends, our goal in celebration is not to be successful but to be faithful, to celebrate the right things and to celebrate them in the right ways. And so this morning, we want to really kind of focus in on that. Let's look as we begin this passage, verse 27, and see what's going on on this day. It says, And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places, to bring them to Jerusalem, to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Netaphathites, also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Asmaveth. For the singers had built for themselves villages, in Jerusalem, villages around Jerusalem. Now, notice first of all, there was to be a gathering. It's going to be a gathering. I don't know if you know what it's like to be a part of a gathering. I've had the privilege as a pastor to join about 10,000 other pastors in Louisville, Kentucky on a couple of occasions. And I know what it's like to sit in an airport here in California and be sitting at a gate and looking around. It's like, I think that guy's going. And then you might go from, from here in San Francisco and go to Chicago ultimately to get to Louisville. And you get off in, in Chicago and you, you're looking around and you're just like, all right, pastor, 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 pastor. We're all going to the same place. You finally get to Louisville and you get down to the, the downtown Louisville area and you see all these guys. And they're all strange looking because they're all pastors. And then they're all walking together. It's time for the conference to begin. And there's 10,000 guys getting into the Yum Center, which is not a giant KFC place, although they own it. Um, it is a big arena where they play basketball and stuff. And I remember walking down the street. and I mean, all the, the sidewalks are packed. I mean, they're spilling over into the road. And people are driving downtown. And they're stopping. And they're rolling their windows down saying, what in the world is going on down here? It's a gathering. <laughs> it's a gathering of pastors. And they're like, oh, wow. And they roll the window up and <laughs> let's get out of here. <laughs> but there's a gathering. And there's something about the momentum. Can you imagine what was going on here? First of all, just think about this. The Levites, who had been placed now in the villages, some of them taken into Jerusalem, remember that? They're all out in the villages. They've been out there for a season. But now comes a day that we're going to celebrate. And so the Levites and the priests are all now coming. They're gathering. The people around the country are coming. They're gathering now for this time of celebration. Just think about the things that are going on in their heart. They're anticipating this day, this great day of celebration. So not only was it to be a gathering, there was to be a gathering to celebrate the dedication of the walls, marked by gladness, thanksgiving, singing, cymbals, 
harps, lyres. So the, the central idea I want us to see here today is this. I want us to see three critical ingredients of healthy worship before our covenant-keeping God. Now we're going to focus most of our time on the first area, the first ingredient. But all three of these ingredients, I think, can be tools, marks of how we as a church celebrate together. And even how you as an individual can celebrate personally in your own life. Now remember what I said earlier. We can apply the principle of this text both corporately and personally. When you reflect on how God has been faithful to you personally, you can worship him keeping these marks or ingredients in mind. The same can be true about as we gather as a church. We can reflect over God's faithfulness to us. And in each case, we recognize that he is worthy of our worship and celebration because of his faithfulness to us, his covenant people, even when we sin. Because he, he doesn't let us go like that. He's still there, pressing his promised faithfulness into his people. And he did that with Israel, and he's brought them back. So this section naturally divides into three, uh, three sections. Praise, provision, and purity. Those would ultimately be the marks. But let's, let's focus on, first of all, a God-centered praise, a God-centered praise. And this is the largest section in this text because this is really talking specifically about the actual procession, the actual day of celebration, might we say the, the, the activity of the choirs and so on and so forth. So the people and the worship team of Israel are now gathered together in Jerusalem in order to celebrate the dedication of the walls. And it was going to be a day of great praise. It would be a day of God-centered praise. Now, what does the writer of this account tell us about this praise-filled occasion? Well, first of all, he tells us that it was a very serious occasion. Just notice how, how this begins. Unlike so much of, I want to say, the church in America um, that, that tends to, to have a, you want, we want you to be happy at church mentality, and so it's very, very casual in how they gather and how they come together to celebrate and to worship. These people gathered with an attitude of carefulness that was marked by purification. Look at verse 30. The priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the walls. Notice the four groups that are purified here. The priests and the Levites, the people, the gates, and the walls. Now, this was a ceremonial purification. But the, the, the purpose of this was to say, through this purification, I am coming to you, God, with a clean heart. I'm coming to you, God, dedicating myself and saying that I am yours. This belongs to you. And as the people also purified the walls and the gates, these are walls and the gates, remember, that were where at one point in time, pagans had been living, pagans had been, had been um, uh, uh, marching or battling or holding uh, their, their, that place as a, as a place that was like a fort. But now this was God's. And so there's a ceremonial 
cleansing that, that came through this whole, uh, this whole purification process that ultimately said, this wall that we have built, these gates that we have built, now are yours, God. So there was this anticipation, this preparation through this purification process. But ultimately, they're saying, God, we want to approach you today with a pure heart. Just consider the words of John in his first epistle. You know it. Verse 9, chapter 1. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to what? Forgive us of our sins and to what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So this is cleansing. And, and God loves people coming to him with a desire for a clean heart. Purification or forgiveness comes before joy. Psalm 24 and verses 3 and 4 say this, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in, the, in his holy place? Who has, a clean, who has clean hands and a pure heart and does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully? So there's this desire to say, we're here to worship. We're here to ascend your holy hill. We're here to ascend Jerusalem. We're here to go into the temple. And in order to do that, we must begin by purification. Now just think about this, friends. We are gathered today on a Sunday morning as a time of celebration. How do you prepare for that? How do you prepare for what God is going to do for you? Do you come Sunday morning and, and, and sit in here and say, Lord, um, I need to do some business. I want my heart to be clean before you. I, I want freedom to receive the ministry of the word by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I'm doing my part to work in my heart to do as best I can to come before you purified and clean because I, I want to receive you. I want more from you and I want to honor you. It's an attitude of the heart. But not only was it a serious occasion, it was also a memorable occasion. Can you imagine what this procession around the wall looked like? Now, verse 27, as we've read, gives us a picture. Priests and Levites and singers all celebrating to the Lord with gladness and thanksgiving and singing and cymbals and harps and lyres. It's lyres with a Y, not lyres with an I, okay? Just so you know that. Um... It was memorable, hear this, not in that it was an event to be remembered, which I'm sure it was, but it was a celebration rooted in remembrance, okay? It was a memorable occasion. It was an occasion to remember. And sometimes, friends, when we celebrate, we end up focusing more on the celebration than the reason why we're celebrating. And that can be true as we gather on a Sunday morning. You can go into some churches, and it's all about the music. And the focus is on, wow, wasn't the music fantastic today? And let's just say it was. There was the possibility that that music was the focus then to the people, and you might want to say they were worshiping the music rather than the message that the music was proclaiming. To remember Christ. 
to remember the gospel, to remember what he has done for us and how he can move us in the right direction through the gospel. Or we can just say, wow, the music was fantastic. Well, the message of the music is far more important than the music itself. The music is a medium to remember. All this is going on for the purpose of remembering. And so now as they're, they're walking on the wall in, in two choirs, they would remember God's hand at work over the last three months. They would remember the places where they labored, where it was harder to, to rebuild the walls. They would remember those occasions and those times where the enemy came and mocked and laughed at them where the enemy came and, and intimidated them, when, where they started to, to have a, a spear in one hand and a, a trowel in the other. They would remember those places. And maybe as they walked around uh, in these two processions, those that were part of the processions would say, you know, that's, that's the gate I worked on. That's where, that's where I was joining hands with others. They're remembering the hand of God at work in restoring or rebuilding that wall now get this, the celebration was not focused on their accomplishment, but on God's faithfulness. It's so easy for us to, to drift away from that and to, to say, well, you know, this is the gate that I built. You know, that sheep, those sheep gate people, I, they did a good job, but, but nothing like the dung gate. You just, silly things like that happen, Right? This is, this is how we are. We're sinful people, and we, we end up focusing on all the things that we shouldn't be focusing on. Yes, work hard. Do the best you can. But then we start to compete with one another. And so what they're doing is they're coming together as, as one people, remembering how easy it is for our celebrations to become the focus now notice the, two, the, the choir processions. Verse 31 picks it up there. Then I brought the leaders of Jerusalem or Judah up to the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. So there's two choirs, and it can be deduced from the text that they, they, they each began at the valley gate. One with Ezra. He led a choir procession counterclockwise to the south that ended up at the water gate. Nehemiah led the other clockwise to the north through the fish and sheep gates um, and ultimately to the gate of the guard. But both choirs ended up where? In the temple. So they were walking along all of the wall that was built, and they ended up gathering together in the temple because the focus was not them. The focus was on the God who brought them to this place. So this was memorable. And you can imagine them moving along the top of the walls and all the memories that, that took place in their minds, times when, when they recalled the work, they recalled the pain, they recalled the, the opposition, but they were also recalling the fact that it was God that had motivated them through Nehemiah to build these walls. And they were remembering that God keeps his covenant, the covenant he gave to Moses. You know, if you disobey me, I will scatter you. But if you return to me, I will gather you. And God was gathering them. And here they had been gathered, and now they're celebrating the faithfulness of this covenant God. You can imagine them giving thanks and playing the symbols 
and the harps and the lyres as they went, and, and they were singing. What, what possibly could they be singing? Well, consider Psalm 48. We'll just think of maybe three verses from that psalm. Verse 12 through 14. Walk about Zion, which is the old name of Jerusalem. Go around her. Number her towers. Consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God, forever and ever. He will guide us forever. Probably one of the psalms they sang. Certainly fits the occasion, doesn't it? Or how about this one? Psalm 122, verses 1 through 4. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem, built as a city that is found, bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, as we decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. You think these have meaning? You think this is celebration? Of course it is. They just sing and celebrate and it was a memorable occasion because they were reflecting on what God had done by his mighty hand in the people of God in Jerusalem and in Judah. So it was a serious and memorable occasion, but it was also a joyful occasion. Look at verse 43. Notice five times the word joy or rejoice is used in this verse. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. Why? That's not in the text, it's implied. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. <laughs> How many of you like pizza? What kind of toppings do you like on your pizza? How many of you like cheese on your pizza? It's a good place to begin, right? How many of you, just be honest, when you order pizza, ask for extra cheese? Yeah? Oh, come on, be honest. All right. <laughs> I do. I like extra cheese. I like the cheese on top of cheese. And then I like cheese on top of cheese is good, right? And then you have pepperoni and ham and, and bacon and everything, right? Except for anchovies. Uh, anchovies and pizza, what's, what's up with that, right? And if you like that, you're weird, okay? Just put that out there, all right? But, you know, you just, you pour on the cheese. You pour on all these toppings into this pizza and you just say, wow, this is just, this is delightful. Now, friends, here. God had made them rejoice with great joy. God was offering them up spiritual pizza with cheese on top of cheese on top of cheese. He is the one that was bringing about this joy. See, it's not them somehow getting out and saying, all right, everyone, now let's, let's all sing. Let's all just be happy. So we're stirring up, get the lyres going, get the harps going. Let's be happy. Let's, come on, come on, come on, sing, 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 sing. That's not what happened. It wasn't a song leader that was somehow stirring the people up. It was God who was bringing about joy with great joy. See, these people understood whom they were worshiping and who was the source of their joy. <laughs> the women... And the children also rejoiced. This is, this is giving us a picture. It wasn't just the men who are doing this. This is the people of God. 
the children too. This kind of takes us back to that passage in chapter 8 where it says, and who was standing there for hours and hours and hours? All those who can understand. Even the kids were rejoicing. I love to see our kids or hear our kids sing and participate in Sunday morning. It's wonderful. It's great. We need to continue to do that. It's a beautiful picture here. Now, what's important for us to realize, though, is that there was another occasion in the greater story of this return to Jerusalem that is also a day of celebration, but also one that was celebrating joy. And it's found in Ezra chapter 3. And in that occasion, there was this celebration because the foundations of the temple had been laid sufficient enough so that they could begin offering the sacrifices in the temple. And on that day, they celebrated. And this is what they said, talking about God, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. There's that said love again. God is faithful to his covenant people. And then the people shouted with joy on that occasion. But we're told they also wept. There was joy and there was weeping. Joy over the restoration of the temple, but weeping over the fact that it wasn't the same glorious temple that it used to be. But here in Nehemiah, there's only joy. There's only rejoicing. There's something fuller. There's something greater that's taking place here. God's faithfulness, friends, hear this, bears fruit in joy. Nehemiah chapter 12, verse 43, we find there is only joy. Psalm 30, verse 5 says, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with what? The morning. And here they are. And God has, has worked his plan with his mighty arm there in Jerusalem among the people, and there is joy. So much so, hear this, that the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Now, is that simply the noise of Jerusalem was heard far away? Or is it the joy that is heard far away? There's a big difference. Noise dissipates. Joy goes with you. After the celebration, they went back to their homes. What did they take with them? Joy. They're going back. It's like, oh, man. It's like coming back from together for the gospel. Oh, that conference was great. Oh, man, I want to tell you about this preacher, what happened here. Oh, you're taking it back with you. And you can just imagine these people so full of joy that as they left, not only was there a noise of great joy, but there was also the reputation of joy going on. And friends, that joy around Jerusalem and from Jerusalem is a means, is a mechanism of God's natural evangelism to those who are not his children. Hear this, joy, just if you're rooted in God and you find joy in him, it is, it is natural for you to be an attractive person. I don't mean to be a fake person, you know, oh, everything's fine, you know. Sure, hit me on that cheek. I'll turn the other cheek. Oh, hit me again on this cheek. I'm so full of joy. No, that's not it at all. But in the realities of life, you're just kind of like the, the, a normal person, but you have joy. That is attractive. People like that. 
Now, we must make a distinction here. There's a distinction between happiness and joy. They're not the same thing. Happiness is a variable. It is, like to say, the positive side of an emotion. There's happiness and there's sadness. And there are times, friends, where you can be sad but also joyful. Let me just kind of explain that to you because joy is not rooted in circumstances. Joy is a constant that is rooted in the character of God. It is anchored in the fact that God is sovereign and he is ultimately in control, that he knows best, that he is working through both your good times and bad for his purpose. That's why in the book of James, in chapter 1, and verse 2 and following, we have the following words. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of every kind. You're like, I don't like my trial. I'm not happy with this trial. God didn't say be happy with this trial. He says, you know, count it all joy. And here's why. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Well, when you know that, because that's what the text here says, when you know that to be true... And the trial comes, you can say, okay, God, there's a reason for this. I'm not happy about this, but there's a reason for this. So I'm going to find joy in the circumstances, knowing that you are doing something in my life to bring me to maturity. See, that's a constant that's rooted in the character of God and what he's doing. Now, this is why Paul says to the Philippian church, rejoice in the Lord, how often? Occasionally? When things are going well, no, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And then just to make sure you didn't miss it, he says, and again I say what? Rejoice. This is why Paul lists joy as a fruit of the Spirit. It's part of our growth. It's part of our maturity. It's part of the fruit that should be there in the life of a believer. Even Jesus knew that he had come to suffer and die on a cross for the sins of mankind. And and so he did that with joy. And the writer of Hebrews reminds us of that, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, pick it up in the middle of 1, who, talking about Christ, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It was not fun to go to the cross. I mean, don't get the idea that Jesus kind of skipped the way to Jerusalem. Oh, whoa, get beaten by the guards. Sure, that's fine, that's great. A crown of thorns in my head, excellent. Be hung on a cross, fantastic. No, but he knew in that suffering that he was accomplishing something eternally important. That He would be that sacrifice once for all, and that was driving him. It was the joy of the Godhead being fleshed out in obedience going to the cross. So he did it with joy. So joy, friends, is, is something that comes from God, and we live out that joy because we're rooted in God. And this is what the people are experiencing. They are joyful because God, it said, made them rejoice with great joy. So, friend, we've, we've come to God with thanksgiving to celebrate what he has done. We can also... Um, be sure that as we do that, it can be a serious occasion, it can be a memorable occasion where we reflect and remember God's hand at work, and it can be and should be a joyful occasion. Now, let's consider 
what then results it moves us into a next, a, next, a next kind of section. And notice it begins with the expression, on that day. Now, I take that to be the same day. Here's what happened. What we find here is really an unusual um, point that the writer here is emphasizing that was part of that day of celebration. I think it's a very important point for us to consider here. It is the ongoing steady and systematic giving for the ministry in the temple. So here's a great day of celebration. We're giving God glory. We're, we're happy. We're joyful. We're remembering. We came to God with a clean heart. And notice what they do. That joy can never be Sustain. I said the joy of that day can never be sustained, but it can fuel us to establish God-fueled habits and practices that will sustain ministry in the future. Their point here was to come then and to give for the purpose of providing the resources for the Levites and priests to actually do ministry in Jerusalem at the temple and then around in the villages and places and so the people come, and they're going to be giving to make sure that is ongoing. Here's what, um, here's what Derek Kidner writes. It is one thing to shout on a great occasion, but another to offer the sacrifice of praise continually and to make realistic provisions for the church's needs. So a day, great day of celebration is also an opportunity to say, this is going to fuel us now to make sure that we're moving ahead and we're taking care of things that need to be taken care of and moving ahead. They have just restored the, you might want to say, the ministry of the temple, the Levites and the priests, in such a way on this day of celebration that coming together now, they can actually organize it purposefully and carefully. And we'll see that unfold here as they do. But what's going on here is that they're understanding from the word of God that it was right for the people of God to give gifts to support the ongoing ministry of God. Now, it's true in the Old Testament um, that we find this tithe taking place, but this giving is also true in the New Testament. And we're not called to tithe in the New Testament. We're, we're called to give as God has prospered us. I would take the opinion and the idea that our giving is good to, to work toward that amount that is reflected in the pattern of the Old Testament. But if you're saying, I'm going to be an Old Testament tither, I'm going to do it just like they did in the Old Testament, understand this. There were three tithes that took place in the Old Testament. Two of them were taken every year. One was taken every three years. So ultimately, if you're going to be an Old Testament tither, you're giving 23.5% of your income. So if you want to be legalistic and you want to give according to that way, that's what you do. I do think, though, that the 10% is a good model. It's a good practice. And it's a good place for, for God's people to be at. And I want to encourage you. Um, to, to just to prayerfully consider your ongoing giving for the purpose of taking care of the ministry of God. But notice what the text reveals. Three things that just happened here. We'll just kind of deal with them quickly here. First of all, the gatherers are appointed. On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, and the tithes to gather them into the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered. So all around the, the temple were these, these storerooms where they would gather grain and food and pots and pans, all the things that were necessary for making sure that the Levites and the priests were taken care of, 
And remember that they came systematically through the year. They came for two weeks and they were off. But during the course of their responsibility, they would come to the temple, they would work. Well, were there provisions for them? And were the provisions there sufficient so much that they could actually do the work that was necessary to be done in the temple in the offering of sacrifices? Where was all that stuff going to come from? Was it just going to appear from nowhere? No. In the economy of Israel, that came from the people through these tithes and offerings. And the principle here is that God's people recognize the need for that. And so they came, and they gave. But they saw, notice here, to gather into them the portions required by the law. In other words, recorded in the word that they had been reading, that had been interpreted for them, that they were seeking to apply. So now they're coming to do this. All right? Secondly, notice that the servants are appreciated, verse 45 and following, and they perform the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers, according to the commandment of David and his son Solomon. Again, looking back, what did God's word say? This is the way it should be. David with Solomon recorded how these things should take place. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers, and they were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. The point here is this. They're looking back, and they're saying, this is the way it was done back then. We want it to continue on. And so we value, we appreciate what these servants are doing. And so we're willing now to invest in the ministry of God, in particular, into the temple of God and all those that are involved in that. Now, just think about this. It included Levites. It included priests. It included singers. I mean, so you're giving money so that people can sing. Gatekeepers, right? They were the bouncers, right? Right. The, and and there were temple servants too. So you're giving money for all these people. You know, what are they going to do with it? I mean, did they have like a an annual, you know, Israel business meeting where people were questioning how all the money was used and line by line? Or do they understand that it takes resource to carry on the ministry of God? These people understood that. And so they gave. They gave graciously. They gave faithfully. And they appreciated the work that was being done. Not only that, gifts are given, verse 47, in all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah. So way back 100 years earlier, and now in the time of Nehemiah, they gave daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers, and they set apart that which was for the Levites, and the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. And so there was all this kind of transfer of resources that was all part of the economy of God declared in the Old Testament law. And the people had been, become aware of it, and now they want to implement it and go back to doing what God had commanded them to do. Now, friends, it's like, okay, well, what's all that? This is happening on the day of celebration, and everyone is gathered in Jerusalem. What a great time to take an offering, right? So, I mean, it's, it's, they're gathered, and we're going to start doing this right. That's what they're saying. We're going we're to get off to the right start. So we're going to appoint these people to, to be over these storerooms and to gather this stuff. This great administration, a great economy of, of care and protection and organization to make sure that the work of God was carried out according to the will of God. Now, friends, hear this. The mark of a mature believer is a purposeful and joyful generosity for the ongoing ministry of the church. It's one of the marks of a, of, a, of a genuine believer. They have a, a, a desire and a joy 
to be gracious with their resources for the ongoing ministry of the church. But the, the mark of a, of, a, of a mature church is that it takes care of the financial needs of ministry in that church. So we're talking about staffing needs, talking about ministry resources to do ministry. It's all part of it. Paying rent. We pay rent here for our, our, our gathering spot. We pay rent for our office space. So there's, there's, there are resources, there's finances that are involved in all this. In other words, growth in Christ is reflected in the regular, ongoing, and sustained ministry of giving to the church so that effective ministry and equipping can take place. So there's great celebration, but great celebration, hear this, without action becomes an event that fades away. But when great celebration is accompanied with action, and in this case, the action is giving, it is ongoing, it is sustained, it is joyful giving, it no longer becomes an event, but the very life and blood of the body of Christ. Now notice in our context, we, every Sunday we gather, we, we, we pass an offering plate. But the ushers, are, they're, walking, they're walking among you passing the offering plate, but they're not like, okay, um, you need to put a little bit more in there, George. George, a little bit more, please, a little bit more, okay, yeah, what about you, all right? All right, shake, shake your pockets. Any change in there? Let's get that in there. No, because we leave that between you and God. We don't, we don't have giving police. Now, we might talk to you about your giving. I, I know nothing about what you give, okay? So when I meet you and talk to you, I don't, I don't know whether you give anything at all. Or you might give, you know, tons of money. I don't know. I don't want that to affect how I'm going to interact with you as a pastor, okay? But it is a responsibility that you as a, a tender member of the church, have before God to help strengthen and uphold the ministry of the church. Now, sadly, two common responses arise when a pastor starts talking about giving. Response number one would be neglect. Um, people just don't take it seriously. And so rather than Tithing. When I say tithing, I don't mean the Old Testament legalistic. Tithing. I'm just saying the, the giving that would be robust. Okay, um, rather than tithing, people end up tipping. They assuage their conscience by just saying, "I'll, I'll just I'll give a little bit in the offering plate." Like people around me can see I'm you know, at least giving something, and they, they're really not necessarily coming before God, saying, "God, I have a responsibility here, and before you, this is what I think I need to give, and so I'm going to give that, and I'm working myself to a, maybe a percentage, and so I'm going to be doing that. And I'm just going to carefully do that discreetly, and as the offering plate goes by, put it in an envelope. That's what we have them for. We don't want to know what other people are doing, but we're just giving for the glory of God." And then there are people just like, I just want a tip because I want people to know that I'm actually throwing something in there. See, don't, don't tip. Do, do some work with God to figure out what it is that, that you need to be doing. And just do it before God and for his glory as an act of worship and celebration that flows out of your remembrance and the joy that you have in Christ. But then another, another response to it would be, a despising of even the topic. They despise the fact that giving is being talked about. I mean, if someone's visiting here for the first time, I think we may have one person or maybe that, you know, you might come in, it's like, oh, okay, fair, I come to this church. It's like, of course, the pastor's talking about giving. That's what churches do. There's give, 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 right? Uh, we rarely talk about it here unless the text talks about it. Is that true? Because we just expect that God's people 
are going to read the Bible or come to a membership class or just hear in the context of discipleship the importance of giving. You're going to see it happening. It's going to be modeled for you. And we're going to let you do that. But there's a time when it comes up that we need to talk about it. Giving is a principle that God has established for his believers to do in the context of church. But some people don't like it. Maybe the culture has kind of come in. Now, hear this. God doesn't need your money. Gateway doesn't need your money. What's more important is that you are being faithful before God in your giving, which certainly will help the church, but God's going to accomplish what he's going to accomplish with or without you. We care about your soul and your walk with God and that you will be faithful to God in your giving. So it's more about your faithfulness than it is actually about the dollar figure that you're putting in the offering plate. Okay? Now, having said all that, I want you to know that it is a huge, huge blessing to be a pastor of a church that gives. I want you to hear this. So we have in our church, I mean, if everyone comes on the same day who is a regular part of our church, we probably have about 130 people. Of that, about 95 of them are kids, right? So I'm just... <laughs> oh, we got a huge portion of kids. And hear this. Not only are you able to support a teaching pastor full-time, you're able to support an associate pastor full-time. You're able to give significantly toward missions. You're able to provide rent for a place to gather Rent for offices where ministry and stuff goes on. And then I, I interact with other churches like ours, size-wise, maybe age-wise, that are scraping the barrel just to provide resources to support a pastor. Gateway is a very gracious, giving church. And I just want to say to you, well done, let's keep it up, and let's be faithful to be responsible with the great blessing that we have of being a church that is a giving church. And friends, I want, I want that responsibility that God's put on my shoulders as a teaching pastor here to be disseminated in the ministries that we're doing. There's a reason why we connect with other local pastors. You know, Billy Dempsey in Oakland, he may have 150 people in his church, but they would not have the financial base to support him full time. Because the demographics are different. The same would be with, true with Hoel. The point is, God has blessed us. So what are we going to do with that? We're going to be serious about before God. What do you want us to do? How are we going to be blessing others? And I'll tell you, just on an outreach perspective, one of the things that we do, we want to bless people like Billy and Hoel. We want to invest in other, I would say, church planters in the area. If, if their churches are having difficulty financially and they need to go to a conference and we can send them, Guess what we're going to do? We're going to send them. Why? Because investing the pastor will trickle down to help their church, right? And God has put us in a position to be a blessing. Let me just share this with you. They're not here. But last, last year, missions committee got together. We said we have some money. We decided to give Billy and Hoel a check for $2,000 as a Christmas gift. And J.D. wrote the check, sent them in the mail. Um, I th actually, I think I wrote a card with it and sent it. And I get a call from Billy, and he starts out, hey, man, he says, I just, I just want to thank you. And, and he just starts to weep. And he says, he says, brother, you don't know how much this means. 
my wife and I wanted to get some things for the kids and we haven't had the resources and bam, this check comes in the mail. Thank your people for us. And then Hoel the next day calls me and he says, oh, Brother Rob, he says, you don't know how much of a blessing this is. Now, to be sure, friends, that blessing has an impact on their ministry as pastors in that church. You are a gracious church. We want to continue to be a gracious church for the glory of God, right? Now, I happen to be the one that hears that, but I pass it on to you to say, well done, church. Now, this text is screaming at us. Make sure that you're taking care of those people who are laboring vocationally for the gospel. Make sure that you're putting enough resources out there that the work of the ministry can be done. Because ultimately we're about equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, about evangelizing the lost, about getting into the, the community where we can talk to people about Jesus Christ and who he is. And sometimes, friends, that takes time and it takes money. And we need it. What time is it? Because I have no clock up here. That's your problem, but I'm giving you some grace here. What time is it? Five after? Wow. Okay, I'll, I'll wrap it up in the next half hour. Okay, very good. Um, let's, just, let's just home in on this last section here, and I'll pick it up again next week. But I do think it's important here to, 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 to get to this last point. Um, I would call it God-honoring purity. And we don't need to get on into the, all the nitty-gritty of what's going on in this text, um, except for the fact that, 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 notice it says, on that day they read from the book of Moses in the hearing of the people, and it was found written. And what they found written was that they, they were supposed to be separated from a certain people group. So what are they going to do? This is not, by the way, um, separating from a people group just arbitrarily. This is not racism going on, okay? They read, they understood, and then they obeyed. When they read, they found something. And friends, hear this. When you read God's word as God's child, when you find something that you need to be obedient to, are you willing to be obedient? Now, this is all part of the celebration. Here's what happens. Not only a day to say, yes, God, we remember you, but it's also a day to say, we want to we be faithful in giving, but it's also a day to say, we want to humble ourselves before the word. And when it says, do this, do it. And notice what it says here. This is verse 3, and as soon as the people heard the law, they separated from Israel all those of foreign descent. Now, it's important for us to realize what is happening, what's not happening here. In the economy of the Old Testament, you could have a distorted view and think that no one of foreign descent was allowed to be part of the covenant people. That is not the case. Israel was always evangelizing. Israel was always wanting other people of other nations to now come and bow the knee to the God of Israel. So what's going on here is these are the people who were not willing to bow the knee to Yahweh, who had maybe intermarried or who have now been part of these, this people, and they're saying, wait a second, no, those who are not bowing the knee, who are still walking in their idolatry, we need to be separated from them. It was a purifying process. And as difficult as it was, the people said, we have to do it, and they did it. And they did it based on the word of God and the commandment of God. And you can find that in Deuteronomy 23, verses 3 through 6, and you can read that story for your understanding. I do want to read Ezra 6, 20 and 21 to make sure you're getting this, this 
clearly so that it's not misunderstood. Notice what Ezra 6, 21 and following says. We'll begin at verse 24. The priests and the Levites had purified themselves together. All of them were clean. So they slaughtered the Passover lamb for, the, for all the returned exiles, for their fellow priests and for themselves. It was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile. Now this is the point. And also by everyone who had joined them and separated himself from the uncleanness of the peoples of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. So those who are people who have turned away from their wickedness and their pagan idolatry to worship the God of Israel were welcome. But those who were not needed to be set aside. They needed to be separated from by the people of God. Well, our time has is, is run out, and I'm, I'm sad for that, but uh, just a couple of things just to highlight as we close. Um, just give me another five minutes. I think this, this is kind of really settling the case here. What are some of the corporate celebrations that we experience as a church? Well, here, think about this one. Sunday morning worship, we've talked about that. The Lord's Supper. A baptism service. Of course, a, an anniversary service. And uh, I'm going to share with you the, the, basically taking the five principles from this text and applying that. In, in all these situations, one of the questions is, how do you prepare? Do you come with a clean heart? Why do we stop and pause before we celebrate the Lord's table? Because we want to do some soul searching. We want to make sure our attitude's right. We want to make sure we're focused. We want to make sure we want to give God the glory in that moment, right? Now, let's just flesh these principles out because they all affect these. There may be other areas of corporate celebration, but um, let's think about these. How can we apply these truths to these times of celebration. Number one, do we come prepared with a clean heart? Ah, friends, I, I think in all occasions that is true. Our five-year anniversary is coming up. Are you going to come prepared with a clean heart to remember? We can remember lots of things relating to Gateway Bible Church, but are we willing to remember just the things that God has done in your life as being a part of this church. And some of you haven't been here that long, and you'll have a shorter time of remembrance, but you can still come with that attitude, with that humility, and be a part of the church that existed before you even came, and rejoice in that. Do you value taking time to reflect on and remember God's hand at work? At a baptism service, we, we gather together, and we, we sit back and we, we rejoice in the hand of God on the life of an individual that is before you being baptized. But you know what you end up doing too? Is you remember about your own walk with God. You remember what happened when you were baptized. That is true of the Lord's Supper also. We come, we remember, we remember what Jesus Christ did on the cross, but we also remember what God was doing when he was drawing us to himself. Remembering his work in our lives. It's true when we gather on Sunday morning. We see ourselves in process, that, that the whole of your Christian life is not going to be solved in one gathering. This is the ongoing ministry of the word and life of the believer, and you are in process, growing to maturity in Jesus Christ. So you come prepared and ready and remembering where you've come from, where you're hopefully going. Certainly true of the five-year anniversary. Number three, do we allow our joy because of our God to be overflowing and contagious? That affects how you sing. That affects how you pray. That affects how you counsel others. 
It affects so many things. Joy is the, is, the, is the constant because it's rooted in the character of God and in the Word of God. As a result of joy, are we cultivating and acting on a thoughtful and generous spirit? I hope so. I hope that as a result, you are gracious. And that comes out not just in the, in the offering, but it's also like, hey, here's some people that, that it seems like really need some friends. And let's, I'm gonna, let's take them out for lunch. You're gracious. Or have them over for a meal. Open your home. It's all part of being gracious, generous. Are we willing to allow the word of God to truly change us? I hope so. Friends, these are some ingredients that will help us to celebrate as a church together for the glory of God. Lord, help us today. May we take these truths and allow them to kind of settle in our hearts. And may we consider, Lord, how we can seek to pursue applying these principles for your glory. We ask in your precious holy name. Amen.